Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, May the 19th, entitled Joker and Lord of the Rings to launch HBO Max with other big movies. And remember guys, listening to the podcast, you can also send in your comments or questions to the live questions part of the show by simply going to the link at the top of the description of this podcast, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can get your question or comment on the show and you'd be supporting the channel. And now let's get to the episode. Rob, let me ask you two questions, sir. Let me ask you two questions. (laughs) What is, according to me at any rate, (laughs) the single most underrated comic book film of all time? Oh, you know this. Uh, uh, the single most underrated comic, comic book of all movie, time? Comic book film of all time. Man of Steel. Not Steel. Man of Steel. And who, <laughs> at least according to me, at least according to me, is the greatest Superman of all time? At least according Henry to Cavill. me. Henry Cavill. As a matter of fact, you guys, uh, a bunch of you guys know this, but uh, here in my uh, Campia cave, uh, as I as I call it, you know, there I, I always got Henry Cavill in here. Now, normally he's in the back corner. <laughs> normally, I've got Henry in the back corner. But today, today, I've got him moved right in here, overlooking me, bestowing his great Kryptonian blessings uh, down upon myself and all of us, ladies and gentlemen, because there, there's something really cool. Listen, a lot of the directors uh, these days and, you know, Community did a table read and uh, Parks and Rec did a little reunion thing. We're seeing directors, you know, doing watch long parties with uh, with certain properties of theirs. But uh, what came out is that Zack Snyder is going to be doing a watch along uh, of Man of Steel. Which I think, you know, it excites me. To me, it is it is one of the top 10 greatest comic book films of all time. It is, I think, the most underrated uh, comic book movie of all time. And he's going to be doing a watch party uh, tomorrow th- for that, which is exciting, which is very, very exciting. Um, so I'm stoked about that. I think that's awesome. Man of Steel needs, I've been saying and screaming for years, Man of Steel needs more love. Man of Steel needs to be better appreciated uh, by people to be recognized for the true place as one of the greatest comic book films of all time, in my opinion. But you guys have heard me say that enough. Uh, now, on, on top of that, Rob, a number of people have been reporting that as a part of this stream, they're going to announce that they're going to put. Now, remember, it, it, let me be very, very clear about this. None of these none of this is coming from reliable sources. Um, none of this is coming from the Hollywood Reporter variety deadline on and on and on. None of this is coming from any of the real news sites. All right. But there are whispers and rumors, as there has been for many, 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 many months that as a part of this live stream that they may announce that HBO Max is going to put Man of Steel or not Man of Steel, sorry, the uh, Justice League Snyder Cut up on HBO Max. Now, Rob, you and I have been talking about this a long time and, you know, for. Oh, yes. Yeah. For almost a year. And, and by the way, these same reports are saying that I've been right all along and you've been right all along and that all the other people who've been saying this have been right all along, that these same reports are also saying that the Snyder cut, as it's called, needs about $20 million to actually finish. That's what what they're saying. They need need about, at minimum, $20 million to finish, which is exactly what everybody's been saying, that Zack Snyder has some assemble of an edit of his movie to what great degree or what little degree that is, we're not sure, but there's no watermelons in the bag, Rob. There is not a completed, ready-to-be-released version of this. It's what we've been saying the whole time, and there's not. They're saying they need money, but I've also been saying for a while, 
uh, months ago on this show, I've been saying, listen, why not just take whatever it is Snyder has, regardless of, of how unfinished it is, just take it and put it on HBO Max. What's the harm? I mean, look, if if the DCEU was running at full steam and they're, they're, they were very sold into their cinematic universe and everything was running like clockwork, like it was Kevin Feige. If that was the case, okay, maybe there would be a drawback to releasing the Snyder Cut in whichever form it's in right now on an HBO Max. Maybe there would be a drawback to that. But the reality is DC is really unclear with what their DCEU is going to look like five years from now. They're doing right. Elseworld movies with Joker. We've they've already replaced Batman. We've got we got Pattinson now in as Batman uh, with Matt Reeves doing his thing. We have, they're already mixing it up a lot. So it's not like they're they've got their DCU in concrete. And so I've been saying forever, look, what's the harm then of just taking it and just put it on HBO Max? Just just do it. Now, I should say, I don't know that I believe these rumors that they are doing it. Uh, like I said, no legitimate. It should be very, very clear that no legitimate news sources are. And when I say legitimate, I don't mean anything other than deadline Hollywood Reporter Variety are complete illegitimate bastards. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying any any outlets like myself or things like that, we're not the big legitimate news sites. And as of right now, none of the big legitimate news sites are backing this up. So I doubt this is happening, but it should happen. And and if Zack Snyder announces tomorrow that they've reached an agreement that they're going to take the Snyder cut in whichever form it is and just put on HBO Max, I think that would be a smart thing to do. We've been saying that for a while. But Rob, let me ask you about this. What do you think about them doing a live stream watch party of the most underrated comic book film of all time? Man of Steel. But also, what do you think about these these rumors about that they might put it on to to HBO Max? Do you think they may be legitimate? And regardless of that, do you think it would be a good idea for them to do it? How are you seeing this? Well, first of all, you know, these watch parties, if you can have a filmmaker sit down, it, it's a it's phenomenal. I mean, the idea of being able to watch a world class filmmaker like Zack Snyder sit down and take you through his movie. It's like a live commentary i've done live commentaries at various conventions and things but to broadcast them over the internet it's a gift it's a really cool thing to to do and and kudos this is not Zack snyder's first one and um i i uh, applaud him and commend him for it and i think it's great what a what a what a gift for anybody who's a fan of his work now as far as if you were going to announce something like this that would be the place to do it I mean, why not? You've got as many fans, all the people that are going to run right to Twitter and scream, oh, my God, look what they would be. They would. It's a great marketing opportunity. But as for whether or not, look, my feeling is if they are going to do the Snyder Cut, you've got HBO Max launching next week. And I think if you're going to do it, finish it. If it costs 20 million, 30 million, whatever, where the money comes from now is absolutely from the marketing costs for HBO Max. They have a legitimate place. The whole point that we were asking for, John, was who's going to pay for this? Like, where are you going to get the money? Studios, even $20 million, a, a studio just doesn't have like. Oh, yeah, man. Here's 20 million bucks. Hey, Rob, to put that in context, to to back up what you're saying, put that in context that some people may hear 20 million bucks. Oh, that's not much. Put that in context. 
that hit film Elizabeth Moss's Invisible Man for 20 million bucks. You could have made that film three times over. So just yeah. just to back up what you're saying, but please continue. I mean, if it's 20 or 30, however much it costs, you need a place where that money comes from that can be a legitimate expense from the studio standpoint. So when they make, I'll give you an example. When you make DVD special features, when DVD special features are, are being made, those were paid for, especially in the, 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 the great days of the mid-aughts, 2005, 2006, when it was in full swing. That money came from the marketing budgets of home video and theatrical. Now, this was money that was set aside to market a product. So it was earmarked already to be spent in a certain way. HBO Max is a huge endeavor for Warner Brothers. They're spending a lot of money to push it. They're, they have TV advertisements. They have internet advertisements. They have advertisements everywhere. So there is a certain marketing budget that they already have set aside to spend on marketing. It's already there. It's already in place. Now, do they have an extra 20 or 20 or 30 million bucks to spend? I don't know. However, it is a place where they could get money from that the studio can legitimately say, all right, we are now going to put the, the Snyder Cut of Justice League at the forefront of our marketing campaign. We actually can make, make a trailer for it and we can promote it. And the only place you can see it is on HBO Max. And they can put this out worldwide and it's a legit place where that money is coming from. And that's where I was always bumping on this. I'm like, who's going to pay for it? And and the thing is, I don't think Zack Snyder would want an unfinished version released. I don't think filmmakers never want that. I mean, as we talk about like, oh, I would watch that. And they release deleted scenes that are unfinished all the time. But I think if they were able to do this, it would be such a coup for HBO Max. Or at least it would be interesting enough that you could promote the hell out of it that they probably would finish it. And if they did finish it, it's this is not something that just happened last week. This is something that's been going on for a while. And it would make sense. I mean, if there's ever a chance to do it where it could actually be paid for, I would believe that it could have been done or that it was done based on this. However, John, like you astutely pointed out, it's a rumor pipe dream until it's not. Until it's reported it either at the end of this live stream or by legitimate news sources, it's just wishful thinking. I The one thing, and I think you and I agree on 95% of this, I think the one thing th that I disagree with is I don't think they, listen, 20 to $30 million is a huge investment. I mean, that big, you're paying, big you can get four Super Bowl commercials for that. I mean, for, for marketing. And let's just face it, Justice League wasn't that popular. I don't know if you make, I, I think it's a good idea to put the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. That does. I don't think that becomes the centerpiece of your marketing for HBO Max. I just don't think there would be enough people that that becomes the big impetus for them signing up for HBO Max. But there would be some. I think right now there are a group of people out there who are so hungry to see this. Right. I think if I don't think they need to spend the 20 to 30 million, you could finance three other HBO original films for 20 to 30 million dollars. Yes, so you could. I, and, and I think, you know, there are so many people that you put this out and you tell people, listen, we're good. They're going to put the Snyder cut as it is up on HBO Max. 
You know, we're not putting in the extra 20, 30 million dollars, whatever, to, to polish it up and finish it off. But we're going to put it as it is up online. I don't think anybody who's looking forward to seeing the Snyder Cut, I don't think there's going to be one single people person in that group that'll go, oh, well, in that case, I'm not interested in signing up to HBO Max and seeing it. You know what I mean? So I think it's unnecessary money. But either way, I think they should, whether they will put it on again. You're right. It's anybody's guess whether they will. But I, I've been saying for a while, there's there's especially if they don't spend the 20 to 30 million, if they don't spend the 20 to 30 million, then there is absolutely no reason not to put it on HBX. There's no drawback. There's no catch. Right. There's no downside. It's nothing but positive if you don't spend the 20 to 30 million dollars. The only thing is, if they were going to do something like that, there are things that they would have to do. For instance, the actors would have to sign off. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah so that's would, true. Would that's the, true. Because if they're showing unfinished material, like would the actors sign off? You'd have to go to all your principal cast and be like, okay, guys. And that would be the actors would be like, um, this is a new version of the movie. This is an entirely new version of the film that we need to get paid for. And there's a there's legal issues. And this is something I don't think a lot of people understand. Actors aren't going to be like, oh, I'm so happy to see this. Just put it out out. They're people. They're lawyers. They're managers. They're agents. People don't work for free. You know, uh, what is that old? What, what did you see on the 70s? Ask, gas or, or cash. No one works for free or no one. Ask, grass or cash. Yeah. Ask, grass. I was on the back of like 70s vans or biker groups or whatever. I mean, it's true of Hollywood. You know, you can't people. It ain't show friends. It's show business. And that's another that's another like there are legalities. Like, for instance, I'll give you another example. The Writers Guild of America, the writers who have written this film. This is a different version of Justice League. So it's Joss Whedon. If he gets a writing credit, he probably doesn't get a writing credit on this version. Would he get an executive producer credit on it? Or would he not get a credit on it? And then who gets paid? Like if it shows again, if it's got a cable berth, a streaming berth, you are legally bound to adhere to the Writers Guild rules, to the Directors Guild rules, to SAG rules. Those are monies that have to be paid. And, and you know, a lot of people don't get that. But how, how would that work? Because Warner Brothers and HBO Max, they're guild signatories. So they have to yeah. abide, by, abide by guild rules. So... It's a tough one. It's, it's a cool tough if it one. Happened. But they have armies of lawyers to work this stuff out. So we'll have to see. Question here is, guys, I know not everybody loves Man of Steel as much as me. I understand that. But what do you think about them doing a live watch party of it? And what do you think about the possibilities and maybe some of the drawbacks of taking uh, the Snyder Cut in whatever version it's in and putting on HBO Max? Or do you feel like, Rob, do you feel like they should put up the extra 20 or 30 million dollars to finish it off? I think there's a lot of st stuff to break down there. But what do you guys think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, before we get into our main topics, it's just something I wanted to, sh I wanted some something to show Rob. Uh -oh. And this came to us from our friends over at, um, over at cinema blend, you know, Rob, one of the movies that you and I disagree with disagree on uh vehemently <laughs> is, is the classic iconic. One of the all time greats. Hook. I know what you're going to say. I knew you were going to say that. Is, is hook right well i was i was fiddling around on you know just going through all the w the websites as i normally do on a regular day <clears throat> and i came across this amazing post do you know who auditioned you might have seen this do you know who auditioned for hook 
Leonardo DiCaprio. They just surfaced these images of Leo, of a younger Leonardo DiCaprio in auditioning for Hook. Now, they're wow. not 100% clear. The assumption here, he was uh, auditioning as one of the Lost Boys uh, for this one. And, you know, he never got it. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Leonardo DiCaprio went out for a role and didn't get it. He was. That's how good Hook is, Rob. Even Leonardo DiCaprio couldn't get a role in it. That's how good that movie is, my friend. Uh, but I just thought that was... I just get a big kick out of seeing like images like that about, you know, the little Hollywood what ifs. But I thought that was really cute. I like that image. I like that image a lot. All right. Anyway, guys, it is pretty cool with that stuff down and out of the way. Let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campion show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Blaze Inferno, who writes, Hey, John and crew, huge fan of the show. Adam Sandler has signed on to play a basketball-based film on Netflix produced by LeBron James. He will play a fired scout who spots a talent overseas and plans to bring him to the NBA. After Uncut Gems, did you want him to keep taking dramatic roles and demonstrate his range? Your thoughts, thanks, and stay safe. Yeah, this one was interesting to me. Look, I have been saying for a long time, Adam Sandler today is far better of a great dramatic actor than he is a comedic actor today. There was an era where maybe that wasn't true. But listen, he is such a natural talent at dramatic acting. It's insane. And of course, he got a lot of attention for Uncut Gems. Well, now it looks it appears to be another drama, this time going in the direction of basketball. This comes to us from the folks of our variety. Sandler in this new movie will play an American basketball scout who, after being unjustly fired, discovers a talented player abroad and decides to bring him to the U.S. to prove that they both have what it takes to make it in the NBA. Legendary Pictures originally landed the pitch uh, from Matt Turney, Matt Roth, and Kitchenbaum, and Spring Hill. Spring Hill is the production company of LeBron James. And Spring Hill in 2018, Netflix acquired the rights from Legendary and quickly pitched it to Sandler as a starring vehicle, of course, still having uh, Matchney and Spring Hill on board to produce. This is actually kind of interesting because, Rob, you know, it just a couple of weeks ago, somebody wrote into the show and asking, you know, where have the sports dramas gone? Where are the sports movies? We haven't really got a lot of sports movies and sports movies were a main staple at the movie theater for a lot of years. And while this would be a Netflix thing, I still think look, the beautiful thing about sports films is that it's real drama. It's not scripted. You know, sports is actual drama. It's somebody who has worked their whole life to get into a competition against somebody else who has worked their whole life for this moment. And the two of them have to engage in conflict, which is the central theme of all narrative storytelling is conflict. They engage in a conflict and only one can win and one will lose. I mean, it's just natural drama. And so sports movies have always kind of been a natural outlet for stuff like this. 
Seeing LeBron James's Spring Hill has been working hard, developing, all that kind of stuff. This could be an interesting one, and one that is, of course, in LeBron James's wheelhouse to look after something like this. So I'm looking forward to it. I think this sounds kind of interesting. Rob, you heard about this whole thing. What do you think about this next Adam Sandler project? Well, like you, I love sports movies when they're great. And I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world. Like, I like watching sports, but I don't follow it religiously. But give me a great sports movie. I mean, you know, I remember watching North Dallas 40, which I think is a great football movie growing up and movies like the original Semi-Tough and I, I, uh, a slap shot. I'll watch anything to do. And the business of sports, like Moneyball. I love Moneyball, you know, and and I, I, so this sounds like it's right up my alley. And I think, look, I think after Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler's career might change around. Like, I have not been so impressed with his Netflix movies so far. No. And I'd like to see him come back to a more, I don't know, not necessarily Jonah Hill in Moneyball, but I'd like to see him concentrate more on more dramatic and grounded roles. If that makes sense. Oh, dude, I've been saying that ever since he did Rain Over Me. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, Rain Over it, Me was an awakening for me about what Adam Sandler, that he had this like unbelievable power in him as a dramatic actor that nobody had ever really seen before. And I've been kind of wanting him to do that for a long time. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to look. Adam Sandler got to eat. So I understand <laughs> he's getting paid. He's making bucks. I mean, those movies that he makes at Netflix, they are getting they, they get serious eyeballs on them. And if you can have a four picture deal or great, I think it's great. But I think, you know, it was clear he did uncut gems for a reason. And I'm hoping that he'll continue on. He can still make his wacky Netflix comedies with Jennifer Aniston. That's fine. But I would like to see him stretch and, and give us some material, whether you liked uncut gems or not. His performance was uh, amazing. Stellar, Amazing. incredible and performance. I, I, I just love seeing people. It's great when 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 talented people do cool shit. That's the work. That's the world I want to live in, John. And I want to see more of that from him. All right, guys. Question is, what do you think about the sounds of this? Adam Sandler in a basketball film. One of the producers, LeBron James. There's a sexiness to that. But maybe it sounds like a dumb idea. Maybe it sounds like a great idea. What do you think? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down. Let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Neill, who writes, I haven't watched Batwoman only when her episode was on Crisis on Infinite Earths. Well, uh, as you can probably as you've probably heard, uh, spoiler alert, CW has cast Warren Christie as Bruce Wayne in bat as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Part of me is happy that Batman is finally getting in the Arrowverse. And on the other half is worried that CW will give Batman the same treatment as Superman. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks. And bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Now, yes, it, it, there have been a lot of reports flying around the last 24 hours that CW has cast Batman. CW has cast Batman. Well, that's sort of true in a way and sort of not. Okay, this comes to us from Screen Rant, who accurately point this out. Since Christie is only playing Tommy as Bruce Wayne, basic thing is this. Series finale Batwoman had a guy getting a disguise and then you realize the disguise, the skin mask, makes him look just like Bruce Wayne. 
So really, it's not Batman. But but anyway, since Christie is only playing Tommy as Bruce Wayne in O Mouse, it should be noted that this isn't the Arrow versus real Batman debuting in Batwoman. It's unclear how long Tommy will stay disguised as Bruce, but this particular cliffhanger will no doubt be resolved in Batwoman season two. As of this writing, it's not known whether the Batwoman writers intended for this particular arc to conclude in the original season one finale or continue longer. Of course, like other CW shows, the Batwoman show had to cut its season a little bit short and not really end where they were originally planning on ending. So it should be made clear right now that what we don't have at the moment is Batman. Batman is not, as of this moment, brought into the CW universe. But if they ever do have Batman, then it's got to be this guy because they're already saying that he's the one that's going to be Batman. Do I want CW bringing Batman into the CW verse? Hell no. Hell no. I don't want them doing that. Will they? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm kind of believing they will. But I don't want them touching. I don't want the buffoons over there touching the iconic big three uh, of the of the tri- trinity of pantheon of gods of the DC universe. I don't want them touching Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And the reason why I don't want them touching those characters is because they have already shown a profound disrespect for those characters. Now, look, I, I won't go into the whole thing again because I've talked about it before, but, you know, there for those of you who haven't heard me discuss this before, in professional wrestling, in WWE, there is a term called jobber. And what a mm-hmm. jobber is, a jobber is there to lose. They're not there to win matches. A jobber is a character whose job it is to go into the ring and get beat up to make the other wrestler they're in the ring with look good. That's the job of a jobber. Never win. They're there to get beat up and to make the other guy look good as they get pinned with their shoulders to the mat. One, two, three, and go, oh, I got beat. I mean, that's the, the role of a jobber. CW has, in their infinite wisdom, decided to make the granddaddy of all superheroes a jobber. They turned Superman into a jobber on CW's Supergirl. They brought in Superman exclusively so he could be like a WWE wrestler to make Supergirl look good so that they can constantly get involved in things where Supergirl is constantly shown to be the better of Superman. Wherein they get into a fight, Supergirl wins the fight. Whereas, you know, if there's a question about who's the protector of the earth, they even had, I'll never forgive them for this, Rob. They had this one scene where, you know, (laughs) Superman was talking about leaving earth. I don't know if you were on the show when we were talking about that. Superman was talking about leaving earth. And the conversation was, you know, and Superman having say, you know, the earth doesn't need me. The earth doesn't need Superman. They have you, Supergirl. You're the true hero of earth. And listen, I get the role of jobbers. I do. I understand the role of jobbers and I have no problem with comic book properties using other comic book characters to job for other comic book characters to put other characters over. And in principle of that, I have no problem. But you don't do that to Superman, Wonder Woman or Batman. That is the wholly untouchable three to me in the Pantheon. And to turn them into jobbers is the highest disrespect. You just don't do it. And what they have done with Supergirl, the Supergirl show has done over and over and over again is constantly make Superman look out to be weak, make him look like a buffoon, make him look incompetent, all to make sure Supergirl gets over as the big hero to their show. 
And Rob, with that as the background, when somebody suggests to me bringing Batman onto the Batwoman show, oh, hell no. Hell no, I don't want them to do that because there is no reason in the world to believe they won't do the exact same thing. Maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. But I've got no reason to believe that they won't bring in Batman just so he can get his ass kicked by Batwoman and go, you're the real Gotham Knight. I'm unnecessary. Like that. You don't do that to Superman, Wonder Woman or Batman. You do not do that to the Holy Trinity of superheroes. And I so no, I don't want them to do it. But then again, you know, maybe they've learned their lesson from the way they treated Superman. Right. Maybe maybe the heads at, C- at CW have thought, you know what? We mishandled that Superman situation. There are other ways we could have put Supergirl over instead of, you know, uh, lowering Superman. Maybe they've learned their lesson. Maybe they're going to elevate Batwoman by elevating Batman in this show. And by the way, it needs to be pointed out that even though they brought in this actor who looks like Bruce Wayne, it's not technically Batman right now. So a lot of different mixed emotions on this, Rob. A lot of different mixed emotions. Anyway, you hear about this. Uh, what, what, what do you make of it right now? Well, I mean, look, I think it was inevitable. You know, they're going to at some point, they're going to have to bring Batman onto a Batwoman show. It's the obvious thing to do. But like you said, I, I I am kind of tired of that attitude. Like, let's why bring these characters? I'll tell you something to bring it back to Star Trek Picard. At the beginning of the Star Trek Picard series, when Picard returned to Starfleet Command, they had to have him put down by Starfleet admirals and cadets didn't know who he was, <laughs> things like that. And I'm like, why is that the tactic? You know, why Why is it – whatever happened to respect? And if Batwoman is Batwoman, let's hope that she reveres Bruce. I mean, they're family, right, in a way, and, or literally. And um, so why don't you – Respect that. I would like to see respect be paid. And and we'll see. I just hope that they don't bring Bruce Wayne on at his own expense. Because nobody wants to see that. And I think that's a cheap way. It's hard. I would like to see characters. Like, I don't need to see an admiral say to Bruce Wayne or something, or Batwoman, sheer effing hubris. I don't need to see that. You know, there's some people that have earned their right just because they're older. They've earned your respect a hundred times over. And I don't see why it's this this thing now to disrespect great characters. And I, I, and I feel I kind of did that with Superman. And there was no reason they needed to turn Superman into a jobber. Supergirl could still revere Superman. It's still her show. But why do they have to do it? Why do they have to bring Superman on at his own expense? I don't like that. I think it sends a bad message, and it's something that uh, of anybody on a superhero show, it should be younger superheroes revering their elders or revering the people. And I, I know people are going to come at me and go, well, you know, there's a long tradition of, like, the Teen Titans having static with the Justice League. Okay, yeah, but then at the end of the day, the Teen Titans learn their place. So well, we'll also see. Teen, but but within the case of Teen Titans, like that static was developed 
over years. Like, right. it, it's it's a result of complex relationships between Robin, whichever version of Robin we're dealing with, complex yeah. relationships between Robin and Batman. Com- yes. Complex relationships. That's where that comes from. But yeah, I don't know. So listen, I don't think there's actually a lot to worry about here because as of right now, it's not actually Batman. Although, you know, Rob is absolutely 100% right. At some point, they're just going to go in that direction. Question here is, guys, what do you think about them taking that apparent first step in that direction of bringing Batman into that world? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Fausa M, who writes, Hello, John and friends. HBO Max is launching soon. It is launching incredibly soon, and we're all excited about it. Um, And I just saw the list of the movies that will launch with it, and it's very impressive. Movies like Joker, Hobbs and Shaw, Dark Knight, Lord of the Rings films, and tons more. I always sort of thought it would take a while for HBO Max to catch up with Disney Plus, but it looks like it might actually be better. What do you guys think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah, HBO Max, we all know is coming. And the moment HBO Max was announced and you understand the stretch of Warner Brothers and, and the reach that they have and how much properties they actually own. And now they're talking about HBO Max is number one going to be all of HBO, which you can make an argument is the highest quality of all the streamers is HBO. So it's going to be all of HBO plus stuff from this and this and this and this and this and, and then all brand new originals and all this kind of stuff. Well, we've talked a number a, a bit about the original series they're going to be bringing, but now They're actually talking about that. This list comes to us from the folks over at uh, Cinema Blend. But look at some of these movies that they're going to launch HBO Max with. Some are already on HBO. But still, when you think about this as its own now new entity, look at some of the stuff they're launching with. They're launching with stuff like, first of all, Downton Abbey, which was incredibly delightful. You should check that out. Hobbs and Shaw, the It films, the John Wick films, Joker, Ready or Not, which was like one of the most pleasant surprise movies the last couple of years. Shazam, Us, uh, Yesterday, A Star is Born, The Academy Buzz, A Star is Born, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, The Meg, which a lot of people like, Happy Death Day, which is one of my favorite little horror comedy movies in the last number of years. I really like Happy Death Day. Obviously, your, your DC films like Wonder Woman and the Batman stuff, obviously. Nocturnal Animals. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Prisoners. The Hobbit films, This Means War, Bridesmaids, Crazy Stupid Love. By the way, super underrated film is Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, Shutter Island, The Kids Are All Right, one of my favorite Mark Ruffalo performances of all time, by the way. Then you get into the earlier years, into the 2000s. The Sherlock Holmes films, the Transformers films, In Bruges, Tropic Thunder, Darjeeling Limited, uh, Casino Royale is coming, Rob. Uh, Snakes on a Plane, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, let's see the, the Harold and Kumar films are coming. Uh, you get back into the, to the nineties, some of the classics, the American pie films, the analyze this films, deep blue sea, which we talk a lot about the Thomas crown affair, three Kings Armageddon, which is my, one of my big guilty pleasure movies of all time. <laughs> the lethal weapon films are coming. Goodwill hunting contact on and on and on and on. Holy crap, Rob. This is on top of all the HBO originals. On top of all their existing original series, on top of all the new stuff they're developing for HBO Max, on top of all the DC stuff and all the streaming stuff and all the Comedy Central stuff and all the everything, dude, they're launching with this library. And I'm telling you what, they ain't they ain't pissing around. 
Like they are coming out strong. And in the case, if you want to compare it to Disney Plus, that came out, we got one original show. They're coming out swinging with a massive existing library of shows, brand new developments, a, a, a library that is very impressive. Now, of course, Disney Plus has an incredible library. Obviously, they got all the Star Wars films, all the well, almost all the Marvel films, you know, stuff like that, and, and the history of Disney films. They've got a really impressive library too. But I'm telling you what, on top of all their original stuff, to launch with a library like this, to me, is real damn impressive. Like really damn impressive. Rob, I know you've been excited about the launch of HBO Max, and you've had a chance to look down the full list of these films. How's all this striking you? Well, like we were talking about before the show, uh, you know, having a repository of as much as I love physical media, having a repository of films like this on a streaming service. What I love about it is like you it, let's say you just want to watch the Battle of Helm's Deep. Well, you can, you know, <laughs> now for ride, now for ruin and a red dawn. Um, you know, you can you can you can do those things. You can watch Return of the King if you want if that's what you want to do and watch your favorite scenes and just zip around. And that's what's so great about having streaming services with deep, deep, deep libraries. And I was very impressed. I mean, obviously they have the Warner brothers library, but to see what they have to offer all those shows, all of those movies, all of the, sh the series, you know, whether it's doctor who or friends, whatever it is you want. Uh, it's pretty impressive. And to have all of this, I think that's the great, the great joy of these streaming services is to have all of this stuff gathered into one place. That's what makes them appealing. You know, you go to HBO Max and you know what their library is. So if you're interested in something there, you're going to find it. And and I think after a while, people are going to familiarize themselves with these things. And because people look, people have comfort movies and they go places and watch the same things again and again and again. And when you have a nice, big, deep library like they do... People are going to keep coming back. And we know that they're going to get all the, the great new A-list HBO programming that HBO is going to continue to make. So you're constantly going to have an influx of new cool stuff. It's it's impressive. And, you know, we've been talking for a while that the, the what we've penned as the streaming wars are really just beginning. And we are at we're at the 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 genesis, if you will, of these streaming wars, because, you know, once N NBC Peacock uh, gets involved and now HBO Max is going to be launched and Netflix is up and running and Disney Plus is up and running and Amazon Prime isn't slowing down. They're putting out tons of good stuff. I just rewatched, actually, even though there's a lot of stuff I should be watching again or I should be watching for the first time. Uh, the last like four or five days, I actually went through all of season one of Jack Ryan again. I, which is really good. It was just so good, right? I mean, so so Amazon Prime is really is really heaving it up and stuff like that. So we're at the just the beginning of all this stuff, and it's incredible. See, the question for you guys is simply this: You guys have seen this list of what they're launching with, and all of that didn't even include the original HBO stuff. What do you guys think a bit think about this? Is HBO one of the big heavy contenders here? What do you think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're going to move on to our live questions part of the show here in just a second. Two different ways to send in live questions, if you wish. Uh, the best way to do it is to use the tip link that you see in the top of the description of this video. It's simply streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. That is the best way to send in a question and support the channel at the same time. The other way you can do it if you need to is just use the super chat feature here on YouTube. But before we get to those live questions, Robert and I are now going to take just a quick, short little break, going to stretch our legs 
wrestle vocal cords, go refill the old drinks, give you a chance to run, use the bathroom, talk amongst yourselves. So hang tight with us, guys. Don't go anywhere. Robert and I will be right back. All right, everybody. And we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we uh, as we're getting our stuff together. Rob, I just had a quick conversation with my wife. My wife is in a bad mood, man. Bad mood. Why? What happened? I'm like, what's wrong? She's so mad. I'm like, what is it? And only people who play Animal Crossing will understand this. Oh, no. But just before she started working, she bought a half a million bells worth of turnips. And the turnip prices today was only 56 bells. Rob, see, you see, you see, Rob, for the sophisticated uh, wow, viewers, the economy is crashing everywhere. John. <laughs> that, for, for, for the sophisticated people, you buy turnips at a certain price and then you can sell. They call it the uh, stock market stock get all your vegetables uh, yeah stock yeah. market and she bought a half a million bells at 92 bells a piece and today the bells were only worth 56 bells i mean she's taking a big loss rob she's very distraught by she's downstairs working now but she's you just tell I, she's very she's angry about this rob she's angry i gotta watch my step today i gotta watch my step <laughs> as i do every you day know, gotta, you should <laughs> you should make yourself a secret turnip stash and maybe when things go bad for her you could you could give her some to bolster her own economy. But here's the problem, Rob. After a week, your turnips go bad. You got to sell them within a week. So you only uh, got seven. You can't hold on to them for the long haul, Rob. This is sophisticated digital economics, Rob. Digital economics. All right. Let's get into our uh, questions here today. And we're going to start off with the super with the uh, with the tip link questions. This one comes to us from Nerd Errant, who writes. So we're still talking about Mad Max sequels. I guess we really can't. Oh, here we go. We really can't get beyond Thunderdome. OK, yeah. maybe maybe Rob would like that one. Um, <laughs> Ray, Not Ray, really. uh, Ray, our, our Ray, who does our graphics, is in the chat room right now and saying Tom Nook is a financial dictator. Yes, he is. Tom Nook in Animal Crossing is a financial dictator. Ryan Loner writes, I just rewatched Whiplash and it hit me that the movie is Reed Richards struggling to impress J. Jonah Jameson and dumping Supergirl. But Rob, you know, here's the thing that that does bring up something that it used to be that there really wasn't that many comic book movies. So when you would get a movie where it's like, wait a minute, there are two actors from comic book movies in here. We'd make a big deal out of it. But now it feels like every actor's in a comic book movie. So we don't even think of those terms anymore. But you're nope. right. It is Mr. Fantastic trying to impress Jay Jonah. By the way, if you have not seen Whiplash, you should totally watch Liplash. Whiplash. If oh, you dude, see how, it's so good. And if you want to see how good of an actor Miles Teller is, J.K. Simmons won the Academy Award, rightfully so. But Miles Teller is so good in that movie. He's so good in it. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up here. Uh, we've got Dim Sum 05 writes. After days of bribing my niece slash nephew, I saw Mystery Men. It reminded me I had a crush on Jeannie Garofalo. So did I to a little degree back then uh, in high school. And I fell out of my chair when I saw Michael Bay, Susan Kang and CeeLo Green as a part of Jeffrey Rush's Merry Gang of Hooligans. Yeah, there was the frat boys. Uh, there was, of course, the Disco Boys. There, I'm trying to remember the name of all the gangs. Rob, you and I have talked a lot about <laughs> Mystery Men. Mystery yes, Men have. is so glorious, and it was so far ahead of its time. Like, that's a movie that really should have come out today. It is a beautiful both spoof but also deconstruction of the superhero genre before the superhero genre was a thing, really. And, and look at the yep. cast. Greg Kinnear. Uh, Hank Azaria, uh, Ben Stiller, 
um, uh, why am I for, forgetting uh, William H. Macy, Jeannie Garofalo, Paul Rubin, um, Jeffrey Rush as one of the greatest comic book vi- movie villains of all time, Casanova Frankenstein. Yeah, the Disco Boys. Yeah, I mean, it was so far ahead of its time. I've been, d- Rob, a lot of people ask me if I could get a sequel to anything, what would it be? And I usually have two answers like reboots, Last Starfighter. Sequels that never got sequels, two films. You know, I'm I'm going to say uh, Megaforce. Megaforce is one that I want a sequel Dude, to. Dude, come on, man. I love Megaforce. What can I say? But the other one is Mystery Men. If I could snap my fingers and I had all the power in Hollywood and I could just wave my hand and have one sequel today with the original cast, it, it would be Mystery Men. It would be Mystery Men. What are your thoughts on Mystery Men? I can't. I know you don't like Megaforce, but what do you think I of Mystery Men? I wasn't a big. To be honest, I wasn't a big fan of Mystery Men when I first saw it. But but it's a movie that because of your love, I I probably need to go revisit. It just was too silly for me. I take my superheroes <laughs> a little bit more. I don't know. Seriously, <laughs> but it's Captain but Amazing. I know. I know. I, and Casanova right. Frankenstein is one of the greatest names ever yeah so but i need to go back and watch it i i gotta give it a fair shake you know i find revisiting movies after a couple of well decades is always a good thing it's always good to refresh your knowledge or memory of a movie based on your perspective in life where you're standing now agreed all right next up we got tony uh, who writes hey john it's been around a year since the game of thrones finale air just wanted to know if your opinion on season eight and game of thrones overall has changed or stayed the same my love for the show has gone up especially after re-watching it many times listen I'll, I'll tell you what i i thought i was in the vast minority but i'm not in the vast minority because i a bunch of youtube videos are going around again showing people like who are watching game of thrones in in like bars and watching game there's one particular video that when Arya stark comes emerging out of the darkness in the mist to kill the night king and it's like there's this huge watch party of hundreds of people in this big bar and the place exploding like they're watching you know some kind of sporting event it's great and seeing that listen i unapologetically loved the last season of game of thrones it wasn't my favorite season of game of thrones go don't get me wrong but i loved the last season of game of thrones and and overall i thought they brought it home it was the highest rated stuff they had ever done um so i wouldn't say my love for it has gone up but it's it's about the same for me but rob it is weird to think that it's been that long uh since since game of thrones like when you think about game of thrones now what are the first feelings emotions you get when you think about the show well, I mean, I was so into Game of Thrones. I, 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 I remember I held off watching the first season because I had read the book when it first came out, and I only read the first book. But when I started watching it, I was so blown away by how well done it was, how beautifully made it was, and I loved all the acting. And I, I, you know, watched the the first season before the second season debuted, and I loved it. And I have to say that. The end of the show, it wasn't the last season that bothered me. It was the last three episodes of the show. And they, to me, were so, let's just say they didn't live up to what I had hoped they would be. But it doesn't take away from the astonishing achievement that the majority of that series represents. I mean, it's clearly 
one of the best television shows of all time. And the the way it was made and and it's it stands head and shoulders above. I, I mean, when people look back at the television medium since we're what seventy plus years into TV, I mean, Game of Thrones is right up there with one of the greatest things ever produced. And yeah, I don't I think, think that there's any way around that. I think the one thing about the final season to me that I that I critiqued at the time and I continue to critique is I like everything they did in the final three episodes. But what really stood out to me was the fact that because I was always upset that why tell me again why the final season of this iconic TV show is only going to be six episodes. Yeah, I, I know. See, so because I really liked everything. I mean, John, they look, did. Well, what do we got? Right, right behind me every day. I have uh, Brianna. Uh, Tar- Brianna. Tar- oh, that's a good yeah. one. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at look at, the, look at this uh, costume. It's uh, Brienne of Tarth oversees me. And Wendell if and you know, somebody there. comes after me, uh, she's right behind me to she's there. Save ass. Yeah, I, I guess I again, I like everything they did in the final three episodes. I just felt it would have played even better had it had three more episodes to draw all those events out to, to flesh them out and feel a little bit better. So that has always been my big complaint about that was that they, they curtailed it the way they did and kind of just, so that made it feel rushed when it didn't need to. But anyway, all right, let's move on here. Uh, Caleb writes, Rob, is, is that the right one, Ron? Yes, Rob, only oh. one set gets a 4K release. Which do you want? One, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Two, the oh, the Godfather trilogy, or three, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge in the River Kwai, or Doctor Zhivago. Uh, four, Dark Knight trilogy. You only get one 4K disc release, Rob. Which one is it going to be out of those four? Oh, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go with. I think the films that would most benefit. And I'm going to go with Dr. Zhivago, Lawrence of Arabia and um, Bridge in the River Kwai, because I think a four. Well, one of them, Lawrence of Arabia has already been uh, done in 4K. But in terms of preserving cinematic history and the legacy, those films are are I think would benefit the most from a 4K release. But, you know, as I would say, why not do them all? Do them all. Do them all. I mean. Hey man, I tweeted to Lana Wachowski the other day. I said, "Yo, when you're in a, when you're in post on um, Matrix Four, can't you get some like HBO PO orders and get Speed Racer transferred into a 4K? Let's do an upgrade with the lossless Atmos audio track." She I never liked Speed back. Racer. I did. I didn't like Speed <laughs> Racer. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a mess, but it's got a lot of fans. It's got a lot of fans. All right, anonymous viewer writes. Uh, hey man, with regards to Battenson's comments about him not working out because he's too cool or that I'm, I'm way too big to work out. Just study the character instead. Like what the fuck, how big of a prick do you have to, <laughs> to be on your arse to think you're too good to work out? Like seriously, dude, get an effing grip on yourself because 90% of the general public only knows you as a glitter boy from twilight, dude, you get paid a shit ton of money to pick up a set of dumbbells. What are you fat man or Batman? Uh, a lot of people still very, very passionate about that issue. All right. Uh, red. Dual Oruna writes, 
Right behind the assassination of Jesse James, my favorite film. Uh, of course, the full title is a ridiculous title, but you never forget it. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford uh, is the constant gardener. Oh, I love the constant gardener. You know, I'm often talking about the fact that the best actor in the world right now who doesn't have an Academy Award, I believe, is Ray Fiennes. Uh, you know, I think after Gary Oldman won his Academy Award, I think that that baton of the best actor who doesn't have an Academy Award went to Ray Fiennes. And that's one of his stellar roles. Anyway, uh, a mid 2000s Ray Fiennes thriller set in Africa. Amazing and heartbreaking film. The ending will break you. Have you seen it? Oh, I have because I love Ray Fiennes so much. Rob, have you ever had a chance to watch The Constant Gardener? Dude, I love the, I will watch anything Ray Fiennes is in. I love The Constant Gardener. I, I thought it was a, a great film. There's also another movie he's in that's great called Sunshine. But nothing is better than Ray Fiennes as Lenny Nero in Strange Days. Just saying. Ooh. And, of course, a lot of people think of him um, today, understandably so. They, they think of him as he who shall not be named. Uh, I mean, I get it. They think of him as Voldemort. I, and I understand that because Harry Potter is super do. popular. Look. I got a 12-inch, beautiful 12-inch Voldemort figure simply because it's Ray Fiennes. But, you know, if you're not watching The English Patient at least once yep. a month, get out of town. <laughs> at least once, Ray at least once a month. At least once a month. All right. Uh, Russell Amador writes, hey, John, the director of the upcoming Halloween Kills movie states he filmed uh, he filled the most violent scene of his career. Probably meant filmed. He filmed the most violent scene of his career in the sequel. Do you recall the most violent scene you've ever seen on screen? To this date. Well, you know, when I think of things like the most violence, Rob, to me, the ones that stand out are the ones that are or feel real because they feel like or they did happen in our world. So I look at things like um, the, the opening beach scene in Saving Private Ryan, like nothing like everybody knows war sucks, but nothing ever made me really go war sucks like that or honestly almost any scene in Braveheart isn't is when you really sit down and think about it, it is like so violent it's so violent and of course the the fate of Braveheart in that movie very violent um so I don't know and I know that's kind of outside what you were asking because you were kind of asking in terms of horror films but like that really to me is the stuff that violence that really affects me on screen Rob what about you what would you say is the most violent I mean bone tomahawk <laughs> but what do you think is the most violent thing you've ever seen on screen oh my god dude I've seen so much um, yeah the, uh, look I, I, I just have to go back to my two favorite head explosions <laughs> but they're done in a fantasy context. So actually, my there's three, and two of them were done by Tom Savini. The original head explosion that was in Dawn of the Dead, the shotgun head explosion in that, and then the, the same shotgun head explosion that was done in Maniac. And then, of course, the head explosion that was done by a great Canadian kid, David Cronenberg, in Scanners. Which Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chunky wetness. Uh, and the falling forward of the face. But, I mean, they're presented in a fantasy context, so the violence is more palatable. But, because uh, I don't, to be honest, I don't like, the more realistically portrayed violence, the harder it is to watch. So, uh, yeah, but those are those are the things that come to mind. I mean, the head explosion in Dawn of the Dead, when I first saw it, I was 12. I couldn't believe it. In a movie, I was in a giant movie theater. I the, the SWAT officer kicks in the door and just, I was like, oh my 
God. I hadn't seen anything like that ever on a movie screen until I saw Dawn of the Dead. All right. Next up, Lee Crow writes, oh, my God, Boba Fett, how are you still alive? Because, yeah, they follow through on the same logic they had with the Emperor. Oh, can you imagine that? No, I, I am sure that we'll probably. See, I, I mean, I don't think they need to show him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit for us to get what happened. But I, I got a feeling they will show that. D-Train writes, Hey, John, today marks the one-year anniversary of the last episode of Game of Thrones. What is your favorite episode of the series? Ooh. Uh, mine is the battle with the bastards. And do you think we'll ever see a continuation? I would like to see old man Tyrion and old man Jon Snow. I don't think we'll ever see a continuation, but there are other series coming in the world of Game of Thrones. We know that. But I don't think we're ever going to see a continuation. I, look, I don't want to sound stereotypical, but... Mine isn't the Battle of the Bastards, but this will be one that most that I think a lot of people will say. But it's but it's because of it. Red Wedding. Red Wedding is like one of the most shocking, um, narratively driven shock. I should point out it wasn't just shock for the sake of shock. It was narrative driven shock. That thing was shocking because of all the narrative that built up to it. I, I got to say, Red Wedding is probably my favorite episode. And I know that sounds stereotypical because a lot of people will say that, but it's true. That one stands out to me. Rob, do you got a single favorite episode of Game of Thrones? God, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I really like the Battle of the Blackwater where where basically, you know, Stannis Baratheon is is he brings his fleet in to, to sack King's Landing. And Tyrion and, saves and the day. Tyrion <laughs> saves the day. I mean, I, I love that episode. I loved Stannis Baratheon. I mean, I I kind of wanted him to win. I mean, he <laughs> he fails. But um, uh, that was early on. I think it's second season. But that was the time when I, I think that was the moment when I was watching that episode. I'm like, this show has crossed some kind of a Rubicon for me in terms of my involvement in it. Like I was so involved. Like I was so like, like Tyrion, who's kind of a dick. And then he comes this savior of all of King's Landing, yet nobody really knows it. And he's never going to get his due. Like that was when my emotional connection to the show was absolutely solidified. Like I understand the first season when Ned Stark dies, I'm like, what? And I was pissed off. But when Tyrion saved the day, I'm like, man, this show, this is one for the ages. Now, and by just the, way, the scope of it. Should point out about Stannis Baratheon. Out of everybody in Lord of the, in Lord of the Rings, out of everybody in Game of Thrones who is running around claiming their stake to the Iron Throne, yeah. his was the legitimate claim. He was, was the legit- true rightful. Like in terms of succession, he was the true rightful heir yeah. to the Iron Throne. It should have been him. So st- we start that hashtag justice for Stannis, uh, Stannis Baratheon. Stannis. Justice well, for Stannis. Be, and he just, uh, uh, you know, and as they wrote him, I don't know if, if I, I don't know if his fate was ever covered by George R. R. Martin in the books, but I really thought that he got the short shrift. He did. Like I mean, he made his of, mistakes, though. He made his mistakes. He he, he, did. he aligned with the wrong entities. And oh, that's the brilliant thing about that show, man. The characters are so know. complex. All right. We need to keep rolling here. We need to keep moving here. Uh, next up, Mandalorian of Gondor writes, a happy 15th anniversary to Revenge of the Sith. Saw it at a midnight uh, screening with my dad and saw it three times thinking it was the last ever Star Wars. In my opinion, Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith is the best Star Wars movie after the original trilogy. Yeah, sue me. But uh, so many quotable lines, memorable scenes and a gold mine of music uh, well you know listen i will often say that in the pantheon of the prequels revenge of the sith is the least offensive 
I find Revenge of the Sith to be the least offensive of the prequel films. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. There's a lot of utter garbage in it as well, but there's 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 good stuff in there. And I think it's probably the best of the three prequel films. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But it's hard. Really? It's 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 the 15th anniversary. 15th. That's nutty. That's absolutely nutty to me. Oh, my God. But you know what? The one thing I'll say about this, Rob, is like, regardless of what I think about the, the prequels and you know whether it's Revenge of the Sith or the other ones, the one thing is that there is a, a segment of Star Wars fandom today that became Star Wars fans because those were their first introductions to Star Wars. And as much as maybe I don't like those films... You got to tip your hat to them because there, there, are, there is a certain generation of, of fans, or at least partially of that, that became Star Wars fans because of those films. Whether I like them or not, they are, there are Star Wars fans today because of those films. And for that, I think Star Wars fandom owes those, fa- those films a, a debt of gratitude. And to this day, those films have their fans, and that's great. All right. Let's see here. Uh, Shuckle, Monkey, Shuckle Money writes, Hey, John, as a Jewish person, I feel like if they if they change the origin of Magneto, I will be insulted, solited. Um, There is no things there is no things worst like the Jewish Holocaust. In my opinion, it's the only thing that can make uh, like. It's the only thing that can make like he he him. Uh, I really don't care about uh his age and and i feel it's a bigger and more insulted difference to change is to change his jewish origin than to say is that is mutant powers allowed it i guess that also what a lot of other jewish people will feel for me it's like they will change black panther's origin and you will say that all he needs to be is a king of a hidden place and he has the same powers but he can be white of course it's nonsense uh, and his african origins are important um well okay here's where this is all coming from and i'm going to tell you why i disagree where all this is coming from rob is it kind of spawns off on a conversation you and i had about this before you know, somebody brought up the idea of, you know, you can still make Magneto uh, coming out of the Holocaust. You just say that a new mutant power of his is that he ages slowly. And to me, that's a betrayal of the character because that has never been a power of Magneto. You don't just go like, that's why I was saying like, hey, uh, how about in this new movie we say Wolverine can fly, but Wolverine doesn't fly. Yeah, but it'll be cool. Kids love flying characters. Just, just let Wolverine fly. No, that's not what Magneto has. Magneto is the master of magnetism. He, one of his mutant abilities is not de-aging or things like that. It's a betrayal of the character. The key essential part of, of Magneto's background is that he was an individual who was forged in the atmosphere of the worst of human, human uh, evil that they witnessed, that turned them ultimately against humanity. And that can be the Holocaust. It can be the Rwandan genocide. It can be a number of other things throughout the world, but you maintain the integrity of the character that way. You discard the integrity of the character if you just start willy-nilly dropping different superpowers on them. And I would suggest this about Magneto. And Rob, you can speak to this a little bit too. I've never felt that the Magneto character outside of the movies and of course, that core of their origin with, with the Holocaust, I never felt that his Jewish heritage was a important part to the character. 
or a core essential element to the character. Much like I never felt that Johnny Storm being white was a core essential part of who and what Johnny Storm is, right? Like Richie Rich. Yeah, the, like the the white privilege sort of thing of the Richie Rich. Is, the, Richie Rich has got to be white. I get that. Right. Black Panther has got to be black. I get that. But like Johnny Storm, there was nothing essential to the character and the DNA and the makeup of Johnny Storm that said that character had to be white or Asian or black or anything. You can make him any race and that's perfectly fine because it still fits with that. But I've also fe- I feel the same way about Magneto. I, I don't really feel like outside of that. And by the way, I don't really feel like the the comics in its in Magneto's 60 plus years of being in the comics, I don't really feel like over those 60 years, they've consistently made that a point of emphasis or importance of who the character is. So I I got to disagree. I see where you're coming from, but I got to disagree. Rob, as somebody yourself raised in a Jewish family, um, I'd be really curious to know what your position on that is. Educate me here a little bit. Well, look, I mean, I understand what our, our viewer is saying, and I don't I don't disagree, but I think with Magneto, his whole thing is what mankind, what homo sapiens, I mean, mutants are homo superior. And his, Magneto's whole vibe is, look what human beings, look at the kind of cruelty and evil that they will perpetrate not only against their own kind, but against mutant kind. And the thing is, because he lived through the Holocaust, he saw it firsthand, and the Holocaust is an easy metaphor. But you know what? I mean, there are many instances throughout history that, not even necessarily in the 20th century, where man has be- been horrible to their fellow human beings. There is, a, there is a litany, thousands of years worth of human beings being awful. The Holocaust is just the biggest example of the industrialized mass slaughter of human beings. It's so monstrous because it was so mechanized. And, it, and when I say mechanized, I mean more of the systems of it, whole, 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 communities and 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 cities and uh, generations of people were were moved and systematically slaughtered and remember it wasn't just Jews in the holocaust people forget it was 6 million other people in addition to the 6 million Jews that were killed so you had everybody from gypsies to to homosexuals to to all kinds of people that were carted off and murdered and you know there's if you look at the, the 20th century, whether it was what happened in Cambodia or what happened with Stalin and in Russia, I, I mean, there's so many examples. And so Magneto can have that. I mean, nowadays you've you've got to have what is the modern equivalent of that or how can we it's the same thing, the metaphor of human beings being horrifically evil to other human beings. And that is that Magneto's the core of his beliefs are that mankind is not to be trusted. Homo superior should reign supreme on the earth. Mutants are the natural evolution of where we're at. And human beings should be, well, gotten rid of. And 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 he the fact that he was a Holocaust survivor is the easiest way, the, the greatest example in the 20th century, and especially when Magneto was created, for readers to understand that. But, um, you know, I think the, the point is, is that mankind cannot be trusted. And well, here is the great example. 
as somebody who's who's more well versed in the history of the comics than I am, let me let me ask you this, and, and this isn't a rhetorical question. I'm I'm really curious. You know, Black Panther, his Wakandan heritage is right. a very saturated part of what that character is and who that is. It's, it plays an important part of everything the character is and does. Aside from the 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 analogies you put out of the human horrors and stuff like that of the Holocaust itself in the history of Magneto has his Jewish heritage ever been played as an important part to who yeah. the character is because in, in my limited I mean Magneto is my all-time favorite character but I'm not going to pretend I'm the world's biggest expert on on Magneto but as I read through all of them I don't I've never really seen that be played as a really important part to who the character is no is it? I, I- I see what you're asking, and and you also come from you have you, you were well educated in religious tradition, and and so, you know, it's one thing to say you're a Holocaust survivor, but in terms of his Judaism, like, at, is he a practicing Jew? Does he go to synagogue? Does he have a rebbe? You know, is he going to shul every week? I, I, that really hasn't been a part of the character. I mean, that he survived the Holocaust. I mean, he he's not exactly the most orthodox of Jews as he's been as he's been shown in the comic. And I, I, I honestly, I think that would be actually kind of interesting if they took him in that direction. But I don't know if that would be I mean, if anything, Magneto could could you you could lean into his teacher the the aspects of him being a teacher like when he led the x-men after issue issue like 200 i mean he led the x-men for a while and it was interesting that would have been a time when they could have leaned into that where he could have been Mm. a more they take they took a more rabbinical approach to his teaching they've never really done that but like you pointed out astutely that that black panther i mean t'challa is from africa and and the idea of and they put it in the movie, the idea of colonialism and what has happened to Africa over the last you know hundreds of years has been sort of it's been baked into that character, which I think is is important because, you know, if if he was just black, that's fine. But I love the fact that he become that he's actually African and that the nation of Wakanda has had to deal with what has gone on with Africa has been incorporated into a comic book character because I don't think it's enough just to talk about color or race or any of those things or religion. I think it's also important to understand, well, what is the context of that? What is what is the history of Africa? What had been going on there for hundreds of years? What is the legacy of slavery? What does it mean to the rest of the world? And how does it echo, as Maximus might say, echo through eternity? And, you know, it's one thing to pay lip service to something, but it's a whole other thing to really delve into it and incorporate that as part of the character. And I thought, you know, for a movie that was part of the MCU, I thought what they did in the Black Panther film – it was pretty good. I mean, and and they should lean into that a little even more. And I think that's important. I mean, it's a, a superficial using racism or or religion or just superficially doesn't help anyone. You really should, within the context of a superhero movie, kind of, you know, have a little bit more, offer a little bit more. I think it's important. 
All right, let's keep rolling here. Uh, but th- thank you for raising that up. I think you brought up a, a anonymous viewer. I think you brought up an angle to that that we really hadn't talked about. So while right. I may disagree, I, I really respect you bringing that up. And thank you for doing that, man. I think it's a good topic conversation to have. All right, another anonymous viewer writes, John, you're wrong about the Huber crystals. Oh, no, I'm not. Uh, they don't change to red just because of who is using them. The person needs to force the crystals to do that by pouring their pain and anger into the crystals, making it bleed. Your mood ring analogy is inaccurate. No, even the way you just described it proves that the analogy is completely accurate. It is a reflection of the user. So, no, it's still the, the other than the midichlorians. The, the whole bleeding of the crystal thing is the most stupid thing Star Wars has ever done. Uh, other than midichlorians, to me, that is the stupidest thing they've ever done. And I think the analogy of it's, it basically turns kyber crystals into mood rings, I think is completely accurate. Even the way you describe it, I feel like it's that. But listen, you got your point of view on it, and your point of view is no less or more valid than mine, and I respect that. But I, I, I just feel the way that you described it kind of pushes forward the idea that it's kind of like a mood ring they treat it like uh, ethan holgate writes hey john i saw on twitter that uh, Zack snyder is doing another watch along party i watched the batman versus superman three hour cut uh that was fun and this time he's doing a man of steel watch along i can't wait to watch it it will stream on vero yeah and again you know me with man of steel it's the most underrated comic book film of all time a top 10 comic book movie of all time in my opinion henry cavill's my all-time favorite superman so you know i'm going to be tuning into that uh, all right uh, star wars rocks writes Hey, John, in other news, I just happened to come across a Facebook post from the DC EU page, and apparently Snyder Cut is actually coming out on HBO Max. Thoughts? Because I'm wondering if it's legitimate. It's not at this point. Again, it's important to point out that just because something is not in Variety, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, um, whatever else, Variety, the actual legit news sites, that doesn't 100% preclude the possibility that it's real. What it does do for me is it's not even worth thinking about or talking about uh, really to a great extent until one of those sites reports it like once variety rule reports it, then it's tangible, then it's worth talking about. So, uh, no, like when when such and such, such and such that no one's ever heard of reports something, it might be true. There's a possibility it could be true. And, you you know, I've been saying forever that HBO should just take and release it as it is. They should do it. But I wouldn't take any of these reports right now seriously until, as Rob said, until we should take them seriously. And right now I'm not taking it seriously. And if it's real, then it will come out. And yeah. but until then, I'm not going to give it too much credence. All right. Star Wars Rocks writes, uh, the page is actually called DC Comics Latin, uh, Latin America. Again, it's, it's irrelevant. Uh, Diamond Dogs Puppy writes. Hello, John and Rob. Today's guilty pleasure movie is 1998's Hard Rain. Christian Slater, Morgan Freeman's Hard Rain. Um, Betty White, Ed Asner, and Randy Quaid round out the cast. A super intense thrill ride about a deadly cat and mouse game for three million in the midst of the worst flood on record thoughts. I got a bit of a kick out of Hard Rain. It is a movie, Rob, to me, that's indicative of the area of the arrows. Like this dude's trying to protect this money. You know, Christian Slater and you have Morgan Freeman. Again, a good all around cast. Not a great film that echoes throughout eternity as maximus would say but it was a fun movie for its era i don't know what did you think of hard rain uh, again you know what it's a movie i like uh, it's a movie you watch and it's fun to watch it's it's it doesn't have to be in the best movie ever made but it's hugely entertaining all right uh next up king tut writes uh what is your top three action stars working today thanks and keep bringing the filthy well i don't do top lists right? like i'm not going to do top five top three, but the thing is, we've talked about this before. 
this ain't the 80s and the early 90s. Like there aren't really like Rob, it seems to me there are only two. And we've talked about this before. I feel like there are only two legitimate action stars uh, in the world today. I think that's Dwayne The Rock Johnson and and uh, Jason Statham. Now, there are actors who will do action movies, but I it all depends on the semantics of it, I suppose. I I don't really consider like Ryan Reynolds does great action movies, but he's not an action star. Like he's an actor right. and he does a lot of that. I, I really only feel like today, like back in the day, Rob, <clears throat> you in the days of Stallone and Arnold and Bruce Willis and Jean-Claude Van Damme and... Oh, who was the one other martial arts guy that appeared for like five minutes and then was gone? But anyway, there was an era of the action star, right? There were there were there was a Rolodex of action stars. Today, I feel like there's only really two legitimate pure action stars. But I don't know. How would you define that, Rob? Well, who do you see as the action stars of today? Well, I think you're right. I, I you know what? The, I think the difference is it's the action movies. There's a whole, there was a whole level of like B movies like Commando. Commando was not an a-list Hollywood production, but it kicked ass. You know, I mean, John Matrix. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And he was fighting against Vernon Wells, you know, from the from the Road Warrior. I mean, the, the, the commando was great. Uh, Schwarzenegger's throwing ba- uh, table saw blades at dudes and uh, machine gun fire. And there was there, we've we've sort of missed out on that. That's why when you're watching a film like Extraction, uh, while it might not be the greatest movie in the world, it was kind of a throwback to those movies. Mm. And and Dwayne the Rock Johnson is a perfect example. He's a he's a great action star, but he hasn't been like his movies are all kind of kid friendly. There's not a lot of R rated. He'll break your bones and smash your face and throw dudes off cliffs and use machine guns and plug a hundred dudes. You know, there, I miss that. We don't really have that anymore. <laughs> so the action stars of today are different than they used to be. Right. No, it's you know? true. It's it, again, I think it comes down to semantics in a lot of ways. All right. But I think Next- you're right. I mean, Statham and Statham is a good, a good example because he'll still do action movies like whether they're crank or something. But even he's going more upscale well, I mean, and, well, and family Meg. friendly. <laughs> the well, Meg. that's true. That's true. Um, all right, Steve M writes, how would you feel about Disney allowing uh, Ryan Reynolds to finish his Deadpool story under the 20th century banner and then they reboot the character with the new actor in the MCU? I don't know. That's a big theoretical. I don't know. It all depends on what Ryan Reynolds wanted to do. Look, if Ryan Reynolds did a third Deadpool movie in his own thing and then Ryan Reynolds said, OK, I've done three Deadpools. I'm good. Like, I'm done. I'm going to move on and do other things. I got my gin company. I've got all this other kind of stuff I want to focus on. I've got like one of those beautiful partners in the world and Blake Lively. We got kids and I'm just I don't want to like Hugh Jackman. I don't want to work out seven hours a day anymore. And he said he was done. Then, yeah, I'd be good. I'd be good with what they want to do. But I think as long as Ryan Reynolds wants to do these things, you got to let him go. All right. Topher Rocks writes, I would have preferred to see Tony and Cap just retire opposed to getting old and dying in Endgame. Maybe both actors wanted to shut the door, though, instead of leaving it open. Dude, it's the MC freaking fake death universe. The door is open. (laughs) I mean, Rob, how many times has Loki died now? Four? (laughs) Something Something like that? Literally, I think Loki's died three or four times. There's no such thing as door closed. I am telling you, Tony, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans will both be back. I am telling you right now. 
They will be back. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, maybe not within the next three years, but I am telling you they will be back. There is no, this is the Marvel fake death universe. It doesn't matter what they do. I mean, in the can movie. you tell? I think they're going to come back sooner than we might even think. You think so? That's the multiverse of madness. You 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 have the multiverse of madness. Are you Isn't telling that a little me early? Isn't that a little soon though? Do you think Chris uh, Evans I, but and they're ready to come back now? But it is the multiverse of madness, John. It's madness to bring him back. That's exactly why I think they're going to do some crazy shit like that because people would be, I, it, you know what it is? It, I don't even know what it's about. Does anyone, we don't know what it's about, no. but it's called the multiverse of madness. I think that you can't even make a movie like that without somehow including the characters. And I think, look, I think Chris Evans and, and, and Robert Downey Jr. would want to be in a movie called the multiverse of madness because they would be supporting their pal Benedict Cumberbatch now, you know, and I think that there is, these guys have made a lot of money and if they can come back and shoot for a couple days, have a, have a lark, you know, Robert Downey Jr. can get, get his people to serve lunch to the whole crew one day. He likes to do that. Why not? I mean, that'd be fun. I, I just, here's the thing though. Robert Downey Jr. is human, which means he loves to be loved because he's human. Right. He loves to be loved. Guess what? Every time he's in a Marvel movie, people love him. Yeah. And then he does Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Everybody hated. And listen, I, I, I am a big Robert Downey Jr. guy. I like Robert Downey Jr. very much. And I think he's a tremendous actor. He's an Academy Award nominated actor. But it wasn't just that Dr. Doolittle was bad. He was bad in it. And I think Robert Downey Jr., you know, thinks, okay, man, I've been Iron Man for so long, okay, I'm done. And he's going to sit around for a little while. And then he does Doolittle. And everybody hates Doolittle. And he's, he's looking at other projects. He's like, you know, that was pretty cool whenever, but whenever anybody mentioned my name online and people got excited. It was pretty cool when I brought joy because I think that's what a lot of the actors, they don't just want to be rich and famous. I think a lot of actors are human and as a part of being human, they want to bring fun and joy to people. I think actors love being putting smiles on faces, whether they're the villain or the good guy or whatever. I think actors also feel a part that they contribute to the human experience by giving joy and happiness and excitement and thrill to people. And I think this is what I've been saying all the time. Like, that's great. You can say I've done Iron Man all this time. That's great. But he's still human. And at some point, that desire to give joy and happiness to people, that desire to be loved like that we all have, that desire to have, you know, a big Mickey Mouse dump truck filled with gold bullion backing up to his front lawn every two weeks and dumping gold onto his front lawn. Those were good days. He's going to think to himself yeah. and he's going to give Gwyneth a call. Hey, Gwyneth, let's say we give uh, let's go back and do like uh, you and me. We, we get we put on the iron armors again and we fly back to back and make another one. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I just don't know when. I just don't know when. Uh, yeah, she doesn't even remember which movie she's been in. She, she's like, all right, sure. Her episode on John Favreau's chef was so great. That whole was episode so was fantastic. Anyway, okay. Well, we've got a bunch more we need to get through here, Rob. Let's keep let's keep on rolling here. Um Lee Mallinson writes, I recently rewatched Richard Gere in Primal Fear. Great movie with uh Norton in that. So uh, good, dude. Such a good movie. So good. Uh, 
he he's fantastic in anything I've seen him in. Although he was big, he was big. I'm surprised he was never even bigger. He brings with him a great leading man quality that reminds me of old Hollywood. But the thing is, I think a lot of people forget Rob Richard Gere was very big. There was yeah, a window was. of time there, like when he was starring in like uh, First Night with Sean Connery and Julia Ormond. Like he was. I mean, he was uh, the main guy. And of course, everybody loves uh, Pretty Woman and all that kind of stuff. He was the guy for a while. Now, oh, dude, in else, the 80s, officer and a gentleman. Officer, officer yes. and a gentleman. American gigolo. I mean, he was the man. He was the man. But two things happened. And, and, and I, I was talking about Richard Gere the other day. I said, you know what? I don't know why he's still not as big today. Now, granted, he's older now so that there's only certain types of roles he can do. But still, why is it not more? And somebody else brought up that and I had completely forgotten about China will never play any of his movies because of, of his stances before. Right? China will never play in his movies, which means you put Richard Gere in your film. You're automatically limiting what you're doing. So, yeah. I, so I get that a little bit. But I, I love Richard Gere. I personally love Richard Gere. All right. Me too. Uh, next. Next up, uh, Topher Rocks writes, uh, my biggest issue with The Dark Knight Rises is that Batman gave up and sat around for eight years. I feel that's his greatest trait, not giving up. That version of Batman was only working for about two years. I like that Affleck was around out there for 20 plus years. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about this before. I like The Dark Knight Rises. It is my least favorite of the Christopher Nolan Batman films. By quite a large margin, because I really love Batman Begins. And of course, The Dark Knight is top three greatest comic book film of all time. Some would argue the best comic book movie of all time. Um, but I, I don't know. There is also something to me, Rob, about the way that they did kind of emphasize the humanity of him a little bit in that, that even the bat will face struggles. I mean, look, even in the comics, Batman fails at some things. And what like I've said, like my favorite comic book story of all time is Age of Apocalypse. Right. But my favorite moment in comic book history, my favorite moment in all that I still get emotional when I think about it, when you understand the history and the narrative of the characters, it wasn't some action scene in the comics. It wasn't some super powered thing. It was two people. And basically most of the issue was two people standing in the Batcave having a conversation. And that was basically the issue. And it's Bruce and it's Dick Grayson. And it's right on the heels, Rob. I don't know if you remember this. It's right on the heels of the Nightfall series. It's after Batman comes back, after getting his back broken by Bane, he comes back. He has to take back the mantle of Bat from Jean-Paul or Azrael, who had been Batman, but went a little bit crazy. And he's standing there talking with Dick Grayson And it is so powerful because the scene for those of you guys who read it, it's Dick Grayson, super grateful that Bruce is back, but he's pissed. He is pissed. And he goes at Bruce. How dare you go outside of the family? You you got broken. Fine. You needed somebody to take up the mantle of the bat. Fine. How dare you go outside? What were you going to Jean Paul for? Asriel to be Batman. What's going through here? Blah, 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 blah. And there's this big thing between them. And my favorite moment ever is one of the concluding thoughts in that whole scene is Bruce putting his hands on, on Dick's shoulders and saying, you know, basically, this is what it is between fathers and sons. And I remember reading that. And I still think about I get 
chills thinking about that moment when you understand the complex and, and rocky and and amazing and deep relationship between, you know, uh, between Dick and, and Bruce. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing moment. And the fact that in the movies, they try to emphasize a little bit of his humanity as well. Uh, anyway, Rob, if you were to look at The Dark Knight Rises and you had to pick out something that you thought was maybe its biggest flaw, would that be it? Or was there something else? You know, there's... <sighs> I watched The Dark Knight Rises recently, and I love like the first thirty minutes of it. Uh, the character development—it takes a long time to un, un, unfurl. But then there's things in that movie. There's details in it that I'm like, wait a minute. Like, for instance, when Bane breaks into the stock market, you know, and makes all these terrible trades, and and makes Bruce Wayne go broke in a day. Cut to the 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 Bruce Wayne's mansion, and he's had his power shut off. I'm like, that's not how it works. If, if somebody <laughs> if somebody breaks into a if they break into the stock market and make a bunch of illegal trades, it's not like the federal the FTC is not going to step in and go, okay, these trades aren't good. And there's a lot of stuff like when he comes back to Gotham and he sets up the the bat symbol is burning on the top of the bridge. It's like, why would he take time out to do that? Like, isn't there more pressing needs? And I think the problem that I have with The Dark Knight Rises is that there's a lot of these little things that if you if you look at them collectively, they make the film a little hard to swallow. Like Batman gets taken by Bane out of Gotham after the bridges have been blown up and then dropped off in where Katmandu or wherever the hell that prison is. And he's left there to, to heal for however many months he's there. And then he somehow makes his way back to Gotham. Like, how did that work? You know, I mean, if he had his money all taken away from him, how did he manage to get from wherever that prison was back to Gotham? It just it, there's all kinds of stuff in that movie that drives me bonkers. And I know it's little stuff, but collectively it's it's not as good as it should be. However, I love the apocalyptic feel of that movie. There's a there's it's kind of like what what um, what Zack Snyder did in Man of Steel. He brought this feeling to it. There is this great feeling of the like the end of the world is coming and and literally nuclear apocalypse and only batman can save us and i do love that about the movie it casts a spell that is it's unique and i like it so by the way just a obligatory uh, shout out to the harley quinn show i love bane in the harley quinn show i just want to throw that out there a uh, god i love bane in the harley quinn show all right uh, a couple more quick ones here release the butthole cut writes uncut gems was one of my favorite films of 2019 sandler was incredible but in my opinion the biggest surprise of the film was kevin garnett and julia fox what were your thoughts on them in the film do you think we'll see more acting from kg i i listen kg was perfectly serviceable in it playing himself I thought he was perfectly fine. I don't see big dramatic future for Kevin Garnett, to be honest with you. But playing himself, he did. He had a couple of nice little scenes played off of uh, Adam Sandler, who really worked it very well. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of acting out of Kevin Garnett moving forward my, myself. Rob, what did you think about Kevin Garnett in the film? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be uh, one of our major thespians moving forward there, John. Yeah. Yeah. I, but <laughs> listen, as a non-actor playing himself. Right. 
I thought he was perfectly serviceable in those scenes. I did. I, I, I have no complaints. But did I see, oh, my God, this guy has a future in this. I, I didn't see that. That's not to say yeah. you won't. I'm just saying I didn't see it in that particular movie. An anonymous viewer writes, Deadpool slash Mickey Mouse super chat on the companion video has struck an idea in me. I want a Who Framed Roger Rabbit style Deadpool movie co-starring all of Disney's forgotten offensive <laughs> Offensive characters of old Rob where that came from was yesterday I mentioned that I don't know give me a Deadpool and Mickey Mouse R-rated movie there you go But yeah Deadpool movie where they Resurrect and bring back all the offensive Old style style moments Of Disney films or Disney Animation and put them in the one thing I'd I'd watch that I'd watch the hell out of that you might be onto something There anonymous all right Murray Reich writes um, What's what a boring Movie Capone was felt like I was Half asleep throughout watching it Tom Hardy tried to give it all he got but It didn't work for me just took forever to Get through the whole story movie could have had a Great potential but it failed in my opinion yeah That's a movie from Josh Trank and I've been really Looking forward to this movie for a while and I haven't brought myself to watch it because I've heard a Lot of negative things and I haven't seen it Myself but it's like because I was so excited To see it I'm almost now scared to watch it, but I've been hearing some not so great things about it, which is unfortunate, but I will just because I really do like Josh Trank. I, I will check this out at some point. All right. Murray Reich also writes, saw Scoob looked pretty cute, but it was just stupid. I'm a fan of the 60s show <laughs> and I and I understand that they had to modernize it for today's standards, but it just didn't work for me. They tried to riff off the old classic jokes in a sarcastic way and it didn't work for me. Uh, yeah, Rob, you and I talked about that. The other day, I haven't watched Scoob. I have no interest in watching Scoob when it's available for just cheap rent. I'll watch it, but I'm not paying 20 bucks to watch something that doesn't really have any appeal to me. But have you heard anything good? Like, have you talked to anybody who's watched it and enjoyed it? Because I haven't yet. I have not. <laughs> right. you know, I don't I don't know anybody that's like, I got to go out and see that Scoob movie now. I can get it at home and I'm going to watch it. I don't know anyone that, you know. All right. Last two more questions here, and then we got to let Rob go to carry on with his day. Dangerous Lee writes, hey, John, late quarantine film recommendation to you and the community. Crime Story, an early 90s true uh, crime thriller starring Jackie Chan is in a rare dramatic role. This underrated gem is currently available for streaming for free on Vudu. Hope you all like it. And actually, we talked about crime. This was maybe about six months ago. We talked about Crime Story. That is actually a nice little film from uh, Jackie Chan, which isn't the kind of movie you expect to see now he is uh, he's he's done others like that but when we think of jackie chan it's not really the one the type of film you're used to seeing him in rob did you ever get around to seeing crime story oh yeah i mean i like i i'm a big jackie chan fan and um i i loved all of those movies and uh you know i think it's i, I he is he's actually a really good dramatic actor and uh yeah i'm i'm all about that as a matter of fact getting more and more of them on blu-ray and i'd like to see more of them on 4k all right uh, last one we'll do with rob here uh john rob help me with this what happened uh that three months ago uh that okay what help me with this what happened that three months ago i had a total of zero hot toys and now i have 11 all mcu (laughs) star wars is there a group to help me love you guys rob i have said and calvin i feel your pain i have said uh, for a very long time that I have I'm trying to see how many I've got on display right now. I have in total four hot toys four, and the reason I have four is because if I buy one more, I'll suddenly have six more. They are very addictive to buy because you get the one and I got Jarrell again going with my love. Let me see if I can bring this up here. 
going off of my love because I haven't I haven't shown Jarrell any love here in in a while here. Let me see here. There's Jarrell. There's it's a great Jarrell. hot toy too. Well, Russell Crowe, one of my favorite actors, if not my favorite actors, as Jarrell. I've got a lot of Man of Steel stuff. In case you guys didn't know, I've got a lot of Man of Steel stuff around. But the thing is, they're so beautiful and they look so good and they're so inspiring. Because I look at that Jarrell figure and it just like kind of like takes me into the movie. It makes me feel inspired and creative. And that's what Hot Toys does. And it becomes like a narcotic. And it's like, because I remember I had zero Hot Toys and then all of a sudden I had four and I'm like, I'm going to go broke if I'm not careful here. But Rob, they are addictive to have like what's what's the secret? How do you pace yourself in getting these things? Because they are really glorious. Oh, well, you know, you what you do is you 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 buy them on time. Like <laughs> you have people take out a little bit at a time. Like like I, I get most of my hot toys from Sideshow, which is their American North American distributor. And you put them on a payment plan. <laughs> and then they take them. They don't hit you all at once. And then they just show up at your doorstep and you forget that you, you're on a payment plan. <laughs> well, I mean, you still ultimately pay for it, right? <laughs> oh, no, you have to pay for it. Yes. And uh, but but it, it goes down easier when you're not paying for it all at once. Like they'll, it'll take like three or four months to, you know, to pay for it all. And then you don't notice it as much. But uh, you know what? The secret to Hot Toys is to specialize your collection. I mean, unless you want all of them, which you're going to that 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 is the road to hell right there. But you specialize your collection like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to commit to Star Wars, but I'm going to commit to the sequel trilogy or I'm going to commit to the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy. And then you can go after um, and then it's possible to get all of the figures in that section. I want the Rogue One figures. I mean, I I didn't have any money when Rogue One came out, so I was like, I don't have those figures, but I can go back and get, like, I want to get the Rogue One figures, so I can go back and do that later. Sure, they're more expensive on the secondary market, which sucks, but you got to pick and choose. Out of curiosity, if you had to say off the top of your head, how many Hot Toys do you have? Uh, Somewhere between 75 and 100. It's a good collection. And does that Somewhere, count yeah. other six-inch scale, or is that just Hot Toys? No, no, that's just Hot Toys. But remember, I've been collecting Hot Toys for a long time, so I have older. I mean, I go back all the way to the mid aughts. Like you can see, let's see, right behind me. Like, is that what? Yeah, see this figure right here. Yeah, is that George? That's yeah, that's George Lucas, and they made that Hot Toys before they had licensed any properties. They were just called. That was just the director. And that George Lucas figure, I it's from like 2004, three, something like that. So that was the first hot toy figure that I have. And I have some alien and predator figures I've got. So I've been buying them for more than 15 years. And there's people that have a lot more hot toys than I do. I mean, I, I've just bought the things that I liked. I mean, I haven't bought everything. Right. But, um, and then, but 12, 12 inch scale, I love 12 inch scale figures. I probably have, I don't know, like 250, 300, 12 inch figures. Ooh, wow. All right. Well, listen, Rob, on that note, uh, we will let you go. We know you got stuff you got to do, particularly you're working on a big project. So uh, yes. thanks again for being here. And we'll, we'll, of course, see you back again here tomorrow. But in the meantime, my friend, where can people follow you and your glorious adventures online? 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Follow me on Instagram at my own name, Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations, the show about something. Awesome, dude. Thanks again for being here. And we will, of course, see you again tomorrow, my friend. Have a good one. Guys, with that, we still have about 20 minutes left. Let's keep right on rolling through all your questions. And we're going to get things started off here as we continue on with Ed uh, Musto, who writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to know when a movie bombs, who does it hurt the most? And in contrast, when a movie doesn't bomb, uh, but is rated badly, who does it hurt the most? Thanks a lot and take care. When a movie bombs, listen, make no mistake, the, the people it hurts the most are the people that paid for it. The people that are actually losing money. Actors got paid cinematographers got paid everybody got their money the people who hurt the most when a movie bombs is the people who paid for it the people who put up the money because they're the ones who are losing money now when a movie uh doesn't bomb but does well but is rated badly like everybody hated who does it hurt the most well it doesn't hurt the studio because the people who paid for it they got their money back right and maybe they even made money i think then the people that got hurt the most is probably the director The director is probably the one who suffers the most when a movie does well financially, but is very poorly received, then probably that hurts the director most. But in in the case of a movie losing money, people hurts the most, the people who put up the money, that's who it hurts the most. Right. Ryan Loner writes, speaking of DiCaprio in Hook, maybe all the all time greatest what if movie casting is Tarisho Mifune, who I never know if I pronounce his last name right, as Obi-Wan. So for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, there is this actor who starred in a bunch of Akira Kurosawa films that his daughter claims George Lucas offered him the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't know if that was ever confirmed by anybody else, uh, but Toshiro's daughter says that oh, George Lucas offered him the role. Now, that makes some sense because we know that Kurosawa was not only a friend of George Lucas, but a big influence on George Lucas. And maybe that's possible. But at the same time, you know, one of the reasons they went and got uh, Alec Guinness was because he brought credibility to the movie uh, to get it, you know, financed and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if it's true. I know his daughter said it and maybe it's been confirmed by other people. I don't know at the top of my head. So maybe that's the case. But as far as I know, I I can't say that that's 100% true, but that really would have been a huge what if, Ryan. That would have been a huge what if. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, is Justice League the new Superman 2, Snyder Cut and Donner Cut, how do they compare? Um, I, I mean, I don't know how they compare because we have not seen uh, the, you know, what would be called the Snyder Cut. I mean, I think HBO Max should just take it as it is, drop it on HBO Max. I think it'll make a lot of people happy. Why not do it? I don't see any downside to doing it. So maybe they should just get around and do that. All right. With that down, let's now that we've got all the tip questions out of the way, let's now go over to the super chats. Um, and Sahil, actually, is that, am I on the right one? Um, oh yeah, we did do Drew's yesterday. So Sahil writes, just want to thank you and guests for lifting my spirits. Well, and thank you, Sahil, for being here and lifting our spirits by being one of our viewers. We appreciate that, man. Uh, Caleb Crane writes, buy one, rent one, burn one. Denis Villeneuve, Edgar Wright, Eastwood. Oh, you know what? Nope. Not going to do it. Nope. Not going to play that game. Not with that one. Uh-uh. I simply can't. Simply can't. So, yep. Going to take a pass on that one, Caleb. Uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, 
John, I don't see uh, why all the hate. Watching this movie between its charming story, catchy songs, and unique visuals, I feel Cats is a perfectly fine movie <laughs> and a little bit of, of, of uh, Triumph the Insult comic dog in there for me to poop on. Yeah, listen. But this, Cats is a great example of a movie, of, of the fact that movies are subjective. I actually know a couple of people who like Cats. There you go. No matter how good you think a movie is, there are people out there who don't like it. No matter how bad you think a movie is, there are people out there who do like it. But it's, uh, yeah, man, we're going to be talking about Cats for a long time. Uh, Wakandan also writes, a bad movie I actually like is Punisher Warzone. I disagree. I don't think Punisher Warzone is bad at all. I think Punisher, Punisher Warzone is a fun good little movie. I like Punisher Warzone. Um, for an action-packed superhero popcorn movie, I like it. Sometimes you just want to see stuff go boom. I thought it was better than that. I I legitimately feel, and I know I'm in the minority, I think Punisher Warzone is a good film. All right. Well, Wakandan also writes, I remember I walked out of Hairspray and Cats was horrific. Uh, movie musicals just are not my thing. Is there a movie genre you just can't get into? Um, No. I, I think... Any genre, like with music, right? I can listen to any genre of music. And if it's a good piece, I can listen to it. With the one exception maybe being country. I will admit country has never appealed to me. But aside from that, like when you go onto my playlist, like my Google Music playlist, I've got everything from um, Rob Zombie to U2 to... Um, uh, to classic, to opera, to, you know, I've got some Public Enemy on my playlist, some Run DMC. Uh, I've got uh, some some Jay-Z on there. I've got, I mean, you name it. I got it on. Everything except for probably country. It's just country's not my thing. That's all. But with movies, the same thing. I don't think there's any like genre of movie that I just can't watch. You know, I, I think as far as major genres go, I, I think if this movie's done well, I can watch just about anything. Um, Wakanda Forever also writes us, everyone stay healthy, safe, and productive. That's a good well wish for everybody, Wakanda Forever. Um, R. Reneker writes, do you think that the Transformers animated movie will be photorealistic computer animated, kind of like the 2019 Lion King movie? Yeah, because listen, that's the way they do Transformers now. Right. I think they will do it the way. Think of the opening of Bumblebee with that big battle scene on uh, Cybertron. That's how I think they're going to do this movie. I don't think it'll be cartoon. I think it'll be CG animated. So, yeah, I think they will do it and it will be in the vein of that opening scene of Bumblebee with the big battle on Cybertron. That's how I think they're going to do. It. I don't know that. Just to be clear, I don't know that that's what they're going to do, but that's what it seems to make the most sense to me. Samuel Rari writes, are Heath Ledger's Joker's performance on your top 10? No. No, it's not. Is it? But it depends. Top 10 what? Top 10 comic book movie performances? Well, then yes. Maybe top three. Um, overall greatest performances in the history of Hollywood? No. No, no, no. I think, I think Heath Ledger's performance is great. I think he earned the Academy Award that year for Best Supporting Actor. But do I think that is a top 10 greatest performance of all time? No. No. Comic book movies, maybe yes. All time, no. Uh, Orange Hand writes, best trailer you've seen for a bad movie? God. Uh, almost any of the Transformers trailers. Um, yeah. I mean, Transformers trailers are always amazing. They were always amazing. 
And except for the first one, they all sucked. So, um, yeah, I got to say it's probably probably one of the Transformers ones. All right. Alex Detman writes, brother, I can see a young Liam Neeson, but uh, you need to check out Phil Collins in the video. I can't dance. That's a Genesis song. And if you had long hair, tell me you don't see resemblance. Go ahead and show your awesome fans. I don't see it at all. I think I would rather look like Phil Collins than Liam Neeson. Um, now, I have had somebody once say that I do look like Mike from unless that's what you're talking if you're talking about mike um in genesis the guitarist for genesis in that video i've had somebody mention to me that they thought i looked like mike so if you mean mike in the video not phil collins i can see it but i i don't see the phil collins uh by the way i don't see the liam neeson one either but i keep having people tell me i look like a younger liam neeson i don't see it i wouldn't mind (laughs) <laughs> but I, I don't see it. All right. The Last Shady Walking writes, uh, The Last Dance uh, documentary is awesome. Jordan is savage. Yeah, I am four episodes in to The Last Dance documentary. So freaking good so far. So good. And I know they just played the last two episodes. I think it was last night or two nights ago. Ann and I like cannot wait to sit down and finish this out because the first four parts are amazing. I can't wait to get through the rest. All right. Uh, soup. Soup. Super. Super email writes, any thoughts on the X-Men and Fantastic Four intro into the MCU via multiverse and cast scope from Roger Wardell on the independent website? Don't, I don't even know what that is. Don't care. Um, No, I don't think you use multiverse to bring in the X-Men. I I think that's lame because, but then again, you got to understand me. I think multiverse is lame. I think using multiverse stuff and time travel and whatever in movies is a is pathetic and lazy. Um, so I really I don't see them doing that. Now, ultimately, though, you know, I hate being that person that says that won't work without having a better suggestion. But unfortunately, I have to admit, I, I am that person in this thing. I, I think that's something that doesn't work, but I honestly don't have a better suggestion. How they bring the X-Men and all that kind of... Fantastic Four is easy. You can bring the Fantastic Four in any way you want. That's easy. The X-Men, because of their history, does represent a problem about how they do it. But I don't think they're going to do... Uh, I don't think they're going to use multiverse nonsense. I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, they might. I don't know. Kevin Feige hasn't emailed me and told me they're they're doing that or not doing that. So I don't know. But I don't think that's what they're going to do. But Fantastic Four, easy. You could bring them in any way you want. That's that that just that doesn't present a problem. All right. Final question of the day, guys. As we're approaching two hours here, comes to us from McKeel, who writes, "I think they will revere Batman for the god he is." If you're talking about in the Batwoman show, I mean, maybe look what we can hope for. And listen, I watched the first couple of episodes of Batwoman. I don't think it was trash or anything, but it wasn't working for me. So I I don't watch Batwoman, but only because it just, you know, just didn't work for me so well. So I didn't watch it. No big deal. But the one thing we can keep our fingers crossed is that the people at CW realize, listen, we really dropped the ball with how we treated and handled Superman. We, we erred on that. That was our bad. And hopefully they go, let's learn from our mistakes there. And realize we can put Batwoman over without needing to degrade Batman. And we can have Batman seen as, you know, the dude he is, the man he is, the god, the comic book god, if you will, that he is, without having to compromise that. So, in as much as I'm really terrified to see about what how CW is going to bastardize Batman the way they did Superman, at the other hand, there is the hope that I have that 
maybe they learned a lesson. Maybe they realized. Maybe that's part of the reason they're giving us a Superman and Lois show is because they want to redeem the mistakes they made with Superman. I don't know that that's the case, but I can hope. And maybe there is that hope to hold on to that they're going to treat Batman in such a way that reflects the lessons they learned from the mistakes they made with their Superman character. So one can hope and one can keep our fingers crossed. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you guys so much for being here. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. As always, he will, of course, be back again tomorrow with me on the show. Thank you to all of you who decide to take time out of your day to spend it here with us on the show. It is an awesome honor and privilege that you guys do that. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live questions, because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you were doing it. And all of us here, thank you guys very, very much for that. All right, guys, that will do it for me for today. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Guys, please remember, do the four smart, four main things. Stay smart, stay safe. Please take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you. And if we do, we'll all be better off. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.